Hey, get your baked goods here. Come here and get your game mechanics. What would you like? What would you like? Oh, can I get a, uh, uh, give me some worker placement. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Puzzles, please. Yep, you got it. I, I'd like some very No, no, no. You get out of here. Come back next year. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Leslie. Hey. Hunter. Yo. And Greg. Yo. Gotcha. And it looks like we're going deeper. Um, (laughs) Yes, Leslie, we're going deeper. Yeah, that's not going to happen. We're going deeper into the games that we like and the mechanics that we like the most. Oh, (laughs) Oh, wow. He actually doubled down on that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But first, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the games that we've been playing lately. So, Hunter, I know that you've been excited to talk about one of these. Oh, got to lead off. All right. This War of Mine. It's been out for a couple of years now. Just a couple. Yeah, I guess it has. I believe it was a Kickstarter and there are a whole bunch of Kickstarter exclusives that I'm also kind of like now thinking I should try and track down. I played this game with my at my last game night and we played it for like four hours and it was a blast. I had heard it was a depressing game to play. There were certainly lots of depressing events that happened in it, but I didn't feel I didn't feel downtrodden in the play of it. Like it almost felt like dying was an inevitability. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so I think there was some level of some games you play and you're just like get frustrated that you're going to lose or you're frustrated because you're like helpless and can't do anything. And this game, it almost just felt like a part of the experience that some of those things happened. And it wasn't frustrating, I guess I should say. Like maybe it was a little sad, but it wasn't just like, oh man, I just wish I could do stuff. I didn't feel that sort of antsiness of like, or like boredom. The stories are really amazing. The book of stories that comes with it has 2,000 stories that wow. can happen to you dang that's yeah. yeah that's like unprecedented it really that's is incredible. yeah and it took some of the parts that i really liked about robinson crusoe which i really don't like <laughs> as a game and, and incorporated those so you could like craft things in your house to like make your life better and you had mm-hmm. to and like the rules of the game were so simple we didn't actually read any of the rules before we started playing we just started going through the phases of the game oh wow through the book but the disadvantage of that was there were things about the game that we needed to do to survive that we didn't quite understand that weren't rules things. They were just like, we need to like make a stove so we don't freeze to death. <laughs> you know, <laughs> intuitive stuff. It did end very grimly. We actually lost one of our characters died of sickness. My character got demoralized, stole some things, including the only weapon that we had left, and basically formed a gang of kids and went out into the streets and left our place behind. And then the last character that we all had to, you know, try and get us across the finish line committed suicide. So it did But didn't the game well. was not depressing. Oh, I, well, and I'm I'm curious about that because I wonder, I mean, when you're playing this war of mine, the video game on which the board game is based. It's it's a very solitary experience. You're mm-hmm. playing the game alone. You're controlling all the survivors, and you are the only one there dealing with the psychological fallout of their attempted survival. And I wonder if playing a cooperative game somehow mitigates that. Like, I wonder if having that shared experience gets you out of this like negative headspace that you could mm-hmm. otherwise slip into. Well, I'd also like to point out that Hunter really enjoys depressing movies and war movies <laughs> and all of those kinds. Of, like, there's what was that movie that? you made me watch and then i was like i'm making you watch moana now 
oh, The Road, but I didn't like that movie. Oh, okay. That movie was terrible. It was very depressing. I will also say that other two people that I was playing with also didn't feel negatively about it. Like we all came out of it, that experience were like, that was really compelling. I think that was what Mm. I say was compelling. It wasn't negative. Sure. Um, Well, I don't think depressing is not necessarily negative. In fairness. True. I also think that another reason why you didn't get into the headspace of negativity is that technically no one is playing as a specific character. It's more mm. like you're on this journey with these characters together because the game plays anywhere from one to six players, but you only ever start with three characters. Oh, interesting. But the way that that works is like the way that the game explains everything is like you basically pass the responsibilities of the decisions and of the things that are happening around the table. So it's almost kind of like a choose your own adventure that just happens at this party of characters that you're like following. So like, it'll be like, all right, now you flip the next card, then you flip that card and then you resolve that card. And then the next player flips the next card and they resolve that card however they want to. And we did table talk it, but sometimes it'd be like, oh, well, I really want this to be the decision we make. And we're like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. You're kind of pushing us a little far. And it's like, well, it's my choice. This is actually really fascinating because you say flip over cards, resolve cards, taking turns doing that. This kind of sounds like For the Queen, but like with more gameplay built around, more mechanics. Mm. Like it's very much a narrative exploration. You're exploring who these characters are and the things that they'll do. But just there's there's more mechanics to it. There's more like health and item tracking than Mm -hmm. than just narrative based. That does sound really interesting. And I think yeah, I mean from what you've described, I think compelling sounds like exactly the right word. I actually I want to jump on this because I have a perfect segue. I played a game about another extremely dire situation, uh, the, Don- the Donner Party. Um, oh, yeah, that's related. Which was substantially more lighthearted. Donner Dinner Party is a social deduction game in which a group of pioneers has been, I guess, not infiltrated. They just kind of were there the whole time by cannibals. And you have to try to cannibals figure out Cannibals were there the whole the time. Cannibals, <laughs> the cannibals are coming from inside the house. Um <laughs> But it was it was interesting. It kind of it had some of the trappings of social deduction games that I like a little bit better than others. So the way that it worked, you had a phase in which everybody's dealt three cards, except for the camp leader who just puts one random card from the deck face down in front of them. And from the three cards that you're dealt, you get to decide what to put in. And so that can be everything from two food, one food, no food, medicine, or poison. And if you don't put in enough food if the total party doesn't contribute enough food to feed everyone at the camp then one person gets eaten and the person that gets eaten is voted on by the the crew by the pioneers so it feels very secret hitler-esque in the sense of like you're putting in you know not policies this time but food and you're sort of kind of trying to obfuscate about like oh you know and people can ask you like what did you put in oh i put it in empty hands but that's because i only had two empty hands and a poison so like you can kind of try to come at it from that angle, and there's some other stuff with, like, power cards that you get dealt at the beginning, and overall, I thought it's really interesting as far as social deductions games go. There's also a really interesting mechanic where if you get killed and eaten, you're not completely out of the game, you're a ghost, mm. and ghosts can't speak, but they can verbalize, so they can, like, rrr, rrr, hmm. and they can gesticulate. And mechanically, once per game a ghost can stop one player from voting hmm. on who is killed. 
So wow. if, like, if you're a ghost, you don't get any additional information. Like, you don't get to see who the cannibals are. But if you have suspicions, you can act on those suspicions. If you're a cannibal, you can assist the other cannibal because you do know who each other are. Are you issued chains that you can then bang on the table? You are not. They didn't go full morally. <laughs> um, okay. But, yeah, but no, Donner, Donner Dinner Party was interesting. Yep. I have no good segue. I played Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Mad King could mean cannibal. <laughs> Which was, well, it, it, no, it doesn't. And actually, <laughs> that's interesting that you say that because um, I hadn't played in a while, and so I was excited to play. And my friend said, we can play Castles of Mad King Louis. And I said, no, it's Ludwig. She said, yeah, whatever. I said, no, it was, he's a real person. <laughs> <laughs> and she had no idea that Mad King Ludwig was a real guy, you know, and a king in Bavaria. And I, I was like, I've been to his castles and Neuschwanstein and stuff and things. And I got really excited. And everybody was like, oh, okay, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's it. And, and the fact that he was so kooky and crazy and, and had all these different demands about castles. And that's why the gameplay is as random as it is. So it made it kind of interesting that they didn't know that, and um, it helped them actually enjoy the game a little bit more. Oh, I believe it. Unfortunately, we didn't get to resolve the game. My castle was like all kitchens and a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so well-fed prisoners. Yep. Yeah, 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 very, very well-fed. I did have maybe the cooks some were the prisoners. Of, maybe I don't know. And they were dead. I definitely had like a butter room, which is funny because I can't eat butter. And <laughs> they could grease and, like, the chains. Like one outdoor out. area that was like enclosed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was a good time, and it made me want to play the game again. Probably, yeah. Need to pick up. I, I have still haven't played Palaces. Palaces actually. is a lot of fun. Yeah, I mm-hmm. haven't. I don't have it, so I haven't played it. You can borrow it from us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually got to play some Carcassonne pretty recently. Carcassonne! What? Yeah. It's like school. your favorite game or something. Uh, I do really, really enjoy it. And I got to play, actually for the first time, the Star Wars version of Carcassonne. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Carcassonne? I saw that picture. Yeah, there, uh, There's there an is. There's everything Carcassonne. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like uh, a tan. Is it like an everything bagel? <laughs> no. <laughs> just mix them all together. <laughs> so you get an everything Carcassonne. Yeah, no, it, it was it was cool. It was a little bit different in terms of there were no farms. What? Yeah. I think I like that because farms are the most confusing thing about that whole game. <laughs> True, they are. And so there are no farms. And then like, pretty much the planets are the same as monasteries. The asteroid fields are the same as cities. And the trade routes, the galactic trade routes are the same as roads. Right. But the difference here is that you can never share anything. So you know how normally like, you would uh, you would have like two yeah. people in in a city or something like that. What happens is if that were to ever be the case, then you will fight. Like there are die, and based on a few different factors. So the shields that are in normal Carcassonne are now replaced by the symbols, either uh, rebellion, alliance, or scum and villainy. And so there there are two rebel factions, two imperial, and then one scum. Hmm. So pretty much it's Vader Yoga. Uh, Yoga. yoga. <laughs> Vader yogurt. Uh, <laughs> Stretchy, I am. Uh, she was pretty I nimble. I think it's Vader, Yoda, a stormtrooper, I think. Just, just Luke one. And, and then Boba Fett, I assume. Boba Fett, yeah. yeah. And so you roll dice equal to the number of uh, people that you have in that area. 
plus any symbols that match your faction. Mm-hmm. And you also have one big meeple, which counts as two. So that you can mm. use that strategically. And then you just roll that many dice, up to three each. And whichever one die of those three is highest from each side determines the winner. Hmm. And then the other person's stuff gets kicked off. You get to keep the, that area. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it, it, it adds a little bit of a different dynamic. They also have some things with like invading, but you can invade planets. So pretty much any monastery that you would put down to the planet... Whenever you place a piece adjacent to it, you may, instead of placing a meeple on that piece, invade that planet. Huh. So go there and pretty much have that same kind of fight with, with the person hmm. on the planet to kick them off. Yeah, I kind of like that, actually. It's not just a reskin. It's yeah. actually, like, systemic changes. Yeah, they actually did, did quite a few changes. And hmm. uh, I played that with Amanda, and uh, she won, I think, by one point. Mm. Wow. Yeah, there were four of us total playing, but uh, but the two of us were right tied at the very beginning so yeah it was it was a lot of fun i definitely enjoyed that speaking of stars star uh, stuff yeah yeah (laughs) not just star wars greg and i star loves yeah we we played some star crossed Uh, we did did i'm I'm actually groaning at the pun yeah um yeah we did we played star crossed it was fun so this was my third time playing star crossed and i would say it was my first time playing star crossed that went in a way that I would describe as intended by the creator of the game. <laughs> um, but it was good. It was interesting. We, yeah. we sort of foisted off the responsibility of creating characters by just picking characters from the scythe intellectual property. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I that was also, I mean, it was sort of, we did it on stream, so it was a fun way to keep things grounded for mm-hmm. our, our board game yeah. playing audience. And I, I liked it. I thought that was a good idea. How long did it take to play? I think that we played for maybe like an hour and a half, two hours. Mm-hmm. I like think, that. yeah. I mean, especially counting setup and player selection and all that sort of thing. I think we played for like an hour and a half and we had just entered the fourth scene. Yeah. And you guys eight. felt engaged the whole time? Yeah. 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 Oh, I would yeah, say definitely. so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was good sort of narr- collaborative narrative crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we, we pretty much, I think, fucked up the tower at the very beginning. Which sucks. we did, <laughs> we put it so far off balance. Yeah. It, well, because uh, so at the start of the game, before the game even starts, you each draw three bricks out of the tower and put them on top. So you sort of start with a less than stable tower, and even right from that, I think we had one that was like right in the middle, and it was on its own. The two on its yeah. sides had been taken out. The bottom. There was something about the bottom that was really unstable. I don't remember why. I mean, like, we, we just took them from the very bottom instead of, like, you know, yeah. even, even leaving that as, like, anything. <laughs> yeah, we had we to just, take them, like, uh, a certain we, pass down from the top. We but, done yeah. fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you did Alex Proud. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, overall, I thought it was really fun. Even though we ended prematurely, mm-hmm. uh, the tower fell. Yep. Which meant my character acted on his feelings. Mm-hmm. But our combined affection score... Yep. was less than 10. So it was, uh, I think that the rule book describes it as uh, too soon. Yep. Uh, mm. And uh, our, our bond was irrevocably damaged. So yes. she smacked Ooh. me and walked away. Yep. And then she wore it on you and she probably like conquered your kingdom and stuff. Yeah, probably. I mean, it is Scythe, so she, yeah. she rode in on a mech and a bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a mechanized bear. There we go. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, so for context, I was playing Anna from Scythe and Greg was playing Gunta. So yeah, uh, I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, we we were looking at it and uh, we we're trying to figure out this, like how are we going to do this like, in terms of the character creation. And I just looked at the board game shelf and I'm like, my first idea was, hey, what if we played like 
a Dahan and an Invader. <laughs> <laughs> that was so a yeah. Okana story. I mean, yeah, I'm going to oh be. Com- I'm going to be completely honest. The thing that actually probably kept me from voting for that was that I don't know the singular of a person who lives in a Dahan. Like, because I think I, I've been assuming that Dahan is the word for like village. Mm. Oh, I, 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 I've uh, always assumed that it's the the name of. Like, I thought it was a the, collect- the collective noun of the the people. The people. We should have asked Eric. We should we have had, asked Eric. Wow. Yeah, when we yeah. had the chance. Missed opportunity. Why did we not? Somebody yeah. hit him up on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like it's it's like sheep. One sheep, five sheep. One Dahan, five Dahan. That could be. Yeah. yeah. I Dahan. mean, we could yeah. we could also just say that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think actually, I think so. For, for mostly because Dahan's sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking you should have played a Dahan and the embodiment of one of the spirits that doesn't yes. get along yeah. with the Dahan. Yes, so I think yeah, I think for various reasons the Dahan and the Invader is not something we probably want to do. But I think a Dahan and a spirit is really interesting. Yeah, compelling. Mm. Yeah. Compelling. Yeah. Yes. We we are also thinking about doing two spirits. Yes, that like, would also could be, be like really diametrically cool. opposed spirits. Something like you know. Thunder and ocean, or something like that. Or, yeah, it mean, wow. could be fun. More opportunities. I mean, we can. We have no shit. I don't have the game anymore. I gave it to my friend. What? It was purchased as a gift. It was intended to be. Oh, a gift. I thought you meant Spirit Island. I was <laughs> like, are you okay? <laughs> I mean, I if that's what it takes to give somebody that game, I will do it. And he but will buy another copy the next buy day. Buy another copy. I mean, I have a friend who has purchased, I think, three or four copies of Spirit Island now, just to maximize his play. <laughs> and he gives them out as gifts to everyone he knows. Yeah. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, that's what we've been playing lately. Everyone, welcome back to Dragon's Demise. <laughs> you got to hear about our least favorite game mechanics. Now the optimist has stepped in and would like to have us all talk about our favorite game mechanics because like I heard in our at our gym today, Apparently, I can find a positive thing about everything, including burpees. So, <laughs> Did somebody really say that? Yes. <laughs> a man uh, who can find a silver lining. Yes, yes. And I'm here to find the silver lining in things, but also to talk about my favorite things. I mean, yep. yeah, those are just like things that we like. These and, are unmitigated goods. At, <laughs> yep. at least in our own eyes, right? Very true. And I did struggle a little bit between a couple different options for this one. I ultimately settled on one that I think is just not used enough yet. And I would really like to see some more games do this, and that is bag building games. Yeah, it's a pretty narrow yeah. subset. You want to give us some examples? Absolutely. One of my <laughs> top five favorite games, Orleans, yeah. Orleans, 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 is uh, definitely a bag building game where you get to pick different colors of workers that you aren't going to buy and then put into your bag, and then every round. You're going to draw guys out of your bag and put them out into play, and then you divvy them up between your actions. And I really enjoy that. It adds, I think all the bag building games I've played add a level of randomness, but you are controlling the direction of the randomness by what you're doing throughout the game. So often you start off in a lot of these games in a similar starting state to everybody else. But then as you play, that starting state goes closer and closer to what it is that you want to play in that game. So other games that I can think of that are in this same category would be Automobiles by AEG, hmm. which I really enjoy. I have not played it very often. I played it at Gen Con a couple yeah. times. Lusty <laughs> didn't care for it, I think. 
I can't remember. We we played planes, trains, and automobiles uh-huh. at three separate Gen Cons. Yeah. As a matter, I of believe fact. trains is also bag building, but it's, I'm having a hard time remembering. But I but can't actually even remember which ones I liked and didn't like. So, it, as it, I recall, you didn't like any of them. Well. It, <laughs> They're not great themes for me, but at the same time, I think they were also games we played at like 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday or something like. But one of them we did get to play with Santa Claus. We did play one of those with Santa Claus. And there's probably pictures of that on my Instagram if you go far enough back. (laughs) But another one that I really enjoy is Hyperborea, which I think does not get enough love. And it is a up to six player civilization game kind of but it's just middle ages or like ancient world it almost reminds me of like conan kind of Hmm. and you're moving your faction around on the board and trying to gain advantage on the board and also you have this bag which basically has cubes that are the Mm -hmm. different uh specializations Mm -hmm. of your civilization so some of them will help you to generate money some of them will help you to move your guys faster some of them will give you more technologies Some of them will let you build defenses and attack people. And I like that you get to keep putting stuff in there and it's going to completely through the proof of what you've put in there, show your strategy. But like people can't just look over at like your cards in front of you and tell exactly what you're doing. They kind of have to pay a little bit of attention to the direction you're going. Mm -hmm. So that I think makes Hyperborea really interesting. And, And Orleans is really interesting because of that same sort of thing where people don't necessarily know what you have coming up next. So you don't know what you, you have don't coming. even necessarily know. <laughs> uh, depending on the game, some games you can't even look in the bag, other ones you can. And then automobiles, you gain waste cubes as you go around the track faster. So like someone might speed ahead at the beginning of the game, but then when you're drawing cubes, you might draw a bunch of waste cubes. And then mm. people that decided to like sort of take the safe route can catch up to you like the kind of the tortoise and the hare Mm -hmm. and in that game i found it interesting because of that you didn't really know where everybody was just from looking at the track so how do you like quacks of quidlinburg so that 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 does uh mix two of your favorite mechanics yes press your luck and bag (laughs) building i forgot all about that one i have played it one time and i had a blast i mean getting to keep drawing to your heart's content, knowing that you could bust at any moment. There's a thrill there that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Hmm. So at the core of it, bag building is basically just a form of probability manipulation. Mm -hmm. You're building your probability curve into what you want personally. What for you sets bag building apart from something like, I'm thinking like space base, where it's more like dice mitigation or other forms of- Or deck building for that matter. Yeah, or deck building or other forms of probability manipulation. I've got the perfect answer for this. (laughs) Well, let's have it. Because it also plays into, in some way, Azul. Hmm. And that is the tactile nature Ah, of having a bag. Especially because a lot of the bags for those games, they're like kind of velvety. Mm -hmm. And there's something about just holding onto the bag and like feeling the pieces in the bag. (laughs) This is a very... (laughs) True story. I took him to a bead store once and I find Hunter like petting all the beads on the wall <laughs> this is a very monkey brain story like <laughs> I, I know it, it's a kind of silly but like it's almost like it satisfies another one of the senses that most games never satisfy no, that's, that's totally... the same reason like when, without it being a dexterity based game yeah <laughs> or like when you know when you have like a lot of like cool dice or something i will often like hold those in my hand and like rub them around in my hand when it's not my turn or whatever yeah so there's a tactile element to that and a lot of games don't really have a tactile element other than maybe holding a hand of cards 
Mm-hmm. And maybe that's you know one reason I also like mm-hmm. miniatures. Right. Because it yeah. has that tactile right. element. You can't really play with cards because you will destroy them. Yeah. Right. And or show them to the rest of the players where right. you don't want to do <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think there is that element even in the other ones maybe of, of the press your luck where yeah. it's like you manipulate the probability. There's just not enough games doing that mechanic. Yeah. I feel like there's so much potential there. And mm-hmm. I could count on two hands probably the number of games that I know of that use it. Fair yeah. enough. I would Fair just you. like to point out that my husband likes to push his luck. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to touch that. I think that's it. That's nothing more needs to be said. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, maybe you should go next. Oh, maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> so this was hard. Obviously, coming up with the game mechanic I hate the most was so easy because I had been... <laughs> Ranting about it. Uh, I'd been ranting about it, but there's a lot of things I like about games. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't play them. But And it's funny because I was struggling with this, and both Jacob and, and Greg said, we have decided your favorite is logic puzzles. <laughs> I was like... Suggested well, your favorite was logic well, puzzles. Right. Well, that's what came to you is what my favorite yeah. would be. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't say specifically logic puzzles, but I will say if there is a puzzle in a game, it will have my attention. And that goes beyond just board games because there was a, we played in a um, Cthulhu themed LARP for Halloween last year. Mm-hmm. And literally there's a huge dramatic moment happening and the bad guy is revealing himself and I am like solving cryptograms. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I somehow was the only one left alive because I was so distracted by these puzzles yeah. that, you know, I'd figured out the cryptogram and I was like translating this. And, you know, it also goes back to being a linguist in my sure. former life you know, figuring out those puzzles. And in games, for example, the one that came to mind immediately was um, Alchemists. Mm -hmm. The first time we played Alchemists, I figured out the entire map of all of the different ingredients. And Hunter was like, how did you do that? And I was like, because that was the interesting part of the game for me. It's so compelling. Like, I was like, I just want to play with this thing. And also the app integration was... Mm a big one for me as well anytime that the app can be integrated without it kind of being the whole game that's pretty exciting for me getting to scan the thing and figure out what the thing was and how they go together and yeah so what was the difference between an experience like that or rising five and the exit game that we played and both disliked Hmm. because that was basically nothing but a bunch of puzzles that's true that's true. I think that those puzzles felt ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I mean, like, I really enjoy puzzles. And I think part of the problem there was that the puzzles seemed to be there just to be smarter than you. Hmm. Like, I was thinking when we were uh, going through this, and we were doing this when we were in Budapest together, that it Felt like we didn't understand the bounding parameters of where the puzzle stopped and where the real world began. That's true. Right. Because I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not played that game, but everything that comes in the box and the box is fair game. (laughs) And not knowing that in advance was, I guess, you know, not knowing the parameters, not knowing the rules of the game. It almost felt like we didn't know the rules of the game in that case. But like... I love it in Time Stories. I love Alchemist. It was one of my top 10 games. So it was Time Stories, I think. 
it can get to be too far because we we also played in a, a buffer LARP where they introduced puzzles as, you know, a way to win without fighting, mm-hmm. which is cool. I like that as an option, but at the same time, when the GM obfuscates just enough of the information so that it makes it feel impossible, that's not okay. I have another one uh, question about puzzles in games. What about when the pieces are like random and so there's not like a giant specific puzzle, but more like each piece can help you build the puzzle yourself, like network building. Like some puzzles are like, or some puzzles are more like visual, like you're trying to just connect up these things. Unfortunately, you didn't play Pipeline with us because that would be a great example. And you haven't played Android, which also has a puzzle where you have various spots in this grid and in the middle you have this other spot and you're supposed to connect these spots up together. So they're not like a set, you know, puzzle with like pieces that have been like ripped apart and then you have to put them back together. But it's more like you get random puzzle pieces that you have to then craft kind of craft your own puzzle i guess uh, th- i mean that definitely sounds intriguing because mm. i also enjoy like tetrisy things true and um and that almost feels like a puzzle too like when we played feast for odin the first mm. time i was determined <laughs> to cover my board i had to cover up all of those negative you ones your own goals. and i was yeah and and and, and i did, did it <laughs> I did it. And then our friend Bernie came over and I was like, and by the way, if you're going to win, you have to cover up the entire board. And he was like, okay. Uh, (laughs) But um, so that sounds like something I would definitely enjoy. Mm. I know that you have said you like, but Android's a longer game, which is why we don't end up playing it. But maybe we should. Oh. (laughs) All right. Well, that was that was a moment, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. One, two, three, shoot. Okay, wow. Again, That's exactly, exactly the same as throws. last time. I'm glad yeah. that it didn't happen like what we did with that one time with Crazy Carts. <laughs> what did we throw, like 13 in a row? Yep. What? Yeah, yeah it was it was ridiculous. It was, that was when we were peak mind melt. Uh, yep. Yeah, peak mind melt. Uh, all right, so I'll go first. Or third, I guess. Um, my favorite mechanic in games is worker placement. Surprise, uh, surprise. I was going to say, it's pretty low-hanging fruit. I think I'll get a lot of like plaudits at this table for that. It made it to the top of my list too. Right. So. I mean, I think it's I think it's compelling. I think part of the reason that I think that I like worker placement games tends to be because if a game is a worker placement game, there's a decent chance that there's a wide variety of places to put your worker, which reflects a wide variety of possible strategies that you can pursue to a victory. So a lot of these are, you know, pretty open-ended. I'm thinking something like Brewcrafters, something like Viticulture where you can, you know, you can go for brewing a lot of really cheap beer or cheap wines or brewing the high point high cost of things and those are going to involve different choices about where and when and how to use your workers so i think something about the mechanic almost inherently reflects a variety of strategy even in a game which we generally were pretty cool on something like ancient world uh Mm -hmm. the worker placement in that reflected sort of a variety of strategy you had your your army or buffing your soldier strategies you had your just explore 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 build 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 strategy like you had a variety of things you could do and i think that's sort of a hallmark of worker placement games how do you feel about games that have displacement of workers where you can go to spaces other people are and kind of give them their guys back 
I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I. So the gallerist was the yep. first game that I played with bumping. We played it on Tabletopia, actually. Yes, we did. I, I love it. I think bumping is a phenomenal mechanic. I'm loving all of the sort of varieties that we've seen with it. That was sort of the the most generic, I think, the default. But mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen Treasure Mountain, where your workers have numbers, and you can only bump a worker with a lower number who is themselves allowed to then take another action. So this sort of ripple effect. That's really cool. Something like Keeper, where you can bump your opponent's workers, but then based on the amount of workers that they have in their personal supply, which have been bumped at the end of the round, that can give them advantages going into a second round. Hmm. I love the versatility of the mechanic, and I think it's a really interesting space to explore, as opposed to just sort of the limited, like, oh, I put this here, that locks it up and you can't take it. Like, Mm-hmm. That almost gets into a little bit of the take that gameplay that I had mentioned really not liking mm-hmm. on our, our last installment. So I think I, I love a bumping and worker displacement. I have another question. Hit me with it. Let's go. Have you ever played any worker placement games that have a kind of a spatial awareness element to them? Like where you place a worker now kind of determines where they can be placed later? Mm, sort of something where like the adjacency of your workers matters. Yeah, or like where that they like they start their next turn there and then they have to, they move from there or something like that. I feel like I've I don't think so. You so know, get thing, me a fresh brain. <laughs> oh god, uh, that's more like a roll and move than anything else. But, um, no, I mean, so the thing that comes to mind the most is more of a rondel style game, so like Teotihuacan, mm. where you're moving your your meeples around a board and they can move up to three spaces, but then obviously if you need to get back to the, like the eight spaces so you know the farther you move the faster you can get back to the action that you just left yeah. but that's i think less of a worker placement game and more of a, a rondel style thing but yeah what was that game we played at ian's i had like the rondel with the barbarians yeah, yeah it was kind of like that i don't know what... yeah i can't think of any off the top of my head that have like once you place a worker it can only move to oh you know what that's a oh, great wait. example so there bar- was some in pipeline if oh, you're your, right. your secondary action was dependent on which primary action you chose to yep. execute. The one that we played with our friend Barbarians, which was kind of neat. One of the main pieces was like this volcano and you started placing your workers on like one level of the volcano and then your And it moved. It it, it could shift around <laughs> oh, like each cool. level of it and you could only move up onto the next level like up from where your guy was. Right. So like on your first action, you chose like this one third of the board and then this other like kind of offset third of the board was where you could go next. So that one actually did have some impact. I don't yeah, know. I mean, that sounds really interesting. But overall, worker placement games definitely uh, tops in my book. I think actually, Leslie, your phrasing was really good. If a game has worker placement, it's earned my attention. Yeah. It might squander that. In the same way that Exit squandered your attention. Sure. Um, but at the very least, I'll be interested in it. I what? was very excited about Exit and it, yeah. What is an example of a worker placement game that you didn't like? Pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, actually, and I, I've been trying to think about maybe why that's the case. I think a lot of it just has to do with the theme. It just wasn't as compelling to me as some other worker placement games that I'd played. Do you think maybe also the fact that there weren't a lot of spaces that did different things? Yeah, I think that's also part of it. Sort of the, I mean, at at the core of it, you really had five different actions that you could take, which is reflective of some variety. But I would have to play the game a lot more in order to really see 
if there was much variance in those strategies or if it was all just iterations on the same build your pipelines builds mm-hmm. i guess machines were pretty good <laughs> i don't even remember you you played two games of that you know better than me but i <laughs> oh machines are pretty good isaac asimov twenty nine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah but i i think something like that where either the the theme is weak which is ironic because a lot of people talk about pasted on themes for worker placement games but it's um, true where the theme is weak or where the sort of variety of actions that i touted at the beginning doesn't actually pay out theme is more important than people care to admit like because i'm thinking if if a game has a good puzzle but there's not a lot of theme i can just go do logic puzzles in a book like (laughs) like, i may have written a blog post about this recently oh really (laughs) (laughs) all right jacob I'm going to bring up the end here. So um, for me, I think one of my favorite mechanics and the one I'm going to talk about today is, is uh, variable player powers. Nice. Yeah. And this is something, again, I think the phrasing is imperfect. It, it grabs my attention immediately. I hear like, oh, variable player powers. All right. Get, tell me more. Like, what else is going on? What else can I do? Like, how how variable are they? For the most part, like, if you tell me that there's variable player powers, I will sit down and try it at least once. But some games definitely have it like fall down for example empires of the void 2 <laughs> the the variable player powers there are too difficult to use and too situational to the point that you are almost never using them hmm. and they they almost leave no impact so i guess for me they have to they're variable player powers that actually have an impact on the game so even something like the ancient world where you have these bonuses that pretty much almost dictate where you want to go in your strategy for the rest of the game that's more impactful and that's more interesting to me and and i really like things of that nature and i mean it shows even from like some of my earliest game acquisitions like when i first started in the hobby small world cosmic encounters like two of the first games that i actually bought both rely very very heavily on variable player powers so those are actually really interesting examples because i've only played cosmic encounter once but I believe both of those are games where your variable power is contingent on the faction that you're playing, which changes multiple times throughout the game. No, for a small world, it does. Right. Yeah. For, I thought Cosmic uh, Encounter worked that way, no, too. No, Cosmic no. Encounter, you get your, your alien race, you are that race. No. You don't even reveal it until you use your power. No, I'm just talking well, about that's an optional role. Yeah, that is an optional role, yeah. That is a great example. Cosmic Encounter is probably the best variable player power example of a game. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like the core of the game is variable player power and everything else is just window dressing. Exactly. No, <laughs> that, that's literally what it is. I mean, it's like every single one of those races uh, has a different way of breaking the game. There are definitely ones that are less powerful or less useful, but it's it's almost like a trade-off where it's like the ones that are the most difficult to use are also the most powerful ones versus like the, the easier ones are just very consistent. So you almost have like this kind of balance there. Yeah, it's funny because when Hunter mentioned variable player powers for a suggestion for me for games he thinks I enjoy, for example, Sentinels of the Multiverse yeah. and uh, Spirit Island. Oh, yeah, definitely. Favorite oh, yeah. of all of ours. I hated Cosmic Encounters. Well, I think that there's also like there's there's parts of Cosmic Encounter because I know Greg doesn't like it either. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely that that's one of the games like one of the first games that I bought. It's definitely not even in my top ten for sure. But but it's I bought okay it. to like it. Yeah. No 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 no. no. I, I'm, but I'm but I'm saying that, that there are a lot of problems with why I don't bring it to table even anymore. Mm-hmm. Really. 
but it's just really interesting to have like all these variable player powers and the other parts of it are like eh. <laughs> so do you prefer variable player powers that like kind of break the game in some way as opposed to say player a variable player power was just like this person's a little bit better at this yes. one ability yeah 100 percent. i think that for me it's, it's just like uh being able to have something unique about your faction that that does enough to change the gameplay mm-hmm. is necessary for a satisfying variable player power would you consider variable player powers in the same category as like if different players have different win conditions right so i was actually going to ask about like, like asymmetric coin or mm. yeah, vast or something with its full-on asymmetric gameplay well i think both of these definitely have variable player powers not inherently because of their goals or at least not in terms of coin games i would say coin games to me feel a little bit uh, i mean they're they're very variable but it's most mostly based on the cards that you're able to pick up yeah versus uh something like root which i think has really refined the idea of having these diametrically opposed different player powers but made it a way that's pretty accessible because mm-hmm. of the fact that it does it keeps things centered on the points idea and then just it's everything is just completely different ways of getting these points it's also cute as hell yes well that too so i do think that those yeah those definitely have variable player powers and and they're a big reason why i definitely like root and even though we don't play them very often coin games i'm willing to sit down and, play, and go through some of those even though they're like three or four hour they're war, so war I military play strategy games. so badly <laughs> we'll make it happen yeah. You still have to come over to play Brewcrafters. I do. I do. I owe you several games. We'll make, <laughs> we'll make it happen. But yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's been a good look of what our favorite game mechanics are. So that, along with uh, the previous podcast of what our least favorite uh, gameplay mechanics are, should give us a little bit of a point of view of uh, what we like and what we don't. Yeah. So And be on the lookout for the next in the series, the most mech mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> the most indifferent. No, I'm just kidding. We, we're not going to do that. Please oh, don't. Now that I'm ready. I immediately started thinking about what, and then I what was like, just what? I, I don't even notice those. Right, so exactly. Why, exactly. why would I? No. Wait, is that a mechanic? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. This upcoming weekend is Washington. It's going to be a great time. So if you're in the area and are thinking about going, don't forget, we've got promo code DRAGON, D-R-A-G-O-N, that'll give you 10% off of your tickets. So if you buy them ahead of time, you get a little bit of a discount. Also, as always, we'd like to thank our Patreon patrons. So these are our top tier patrons. We've got Carissa, Meg, Sam, and Casey. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. It's been helping us a lot here at Dragon's Demise. So thank you very much. If you're interested in supporting us, definitely check out patreon.com slash dragonsdemise. And of course, be sure to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.